Well, before we get there, I guess I want to say thank you for everyone last week that endured and came for the uh, family service. If you weren't here, you missed out on a pretty crazy day. I want to, I want to thank actually a lot of you that weren't, don't have kids that were here, that, that jumped in and kind of joined in with the, with the people with kids here. It was really cool to see the church kind of work together and do that. It was super chaos. Just so you guys know, we won't spring them on you anymore. We'll go ahead and warn you when they're coming. Um, but I would encourage you that when you see them coming that you don't use that as an excuse to get away. We're planning on doing um, probably about four or so of those a year um, on a continual basis because we believe in the value of modeling it for parents and for others in the church to see it and be a part of it. So thank you so much for that. If you, um, if you have your Bibles, just go ahead and uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. We're in, we've been in Ephesians. We've been working our way through Ephesians. And um, just kind of a quick recap of where we were um, just before, kind of the, at the beginning of chapter 4, we get, this, we get this call by the Apostle Paul to walk in a worthy manner, like to walk in this manner that is worthy of our calling. And, and then he kind of works his way in, and in chapter 5, a, a couple months ago, at the beginning, we see that we're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after being filled with the Holy Spirit comes this, these kind of these household roles that we've been in for the last um, couple weeks, and we'll continue to be in through the beginning of chapter 6. This section is, is all expecting and believing that for us to instill or to live these roles, we need to do so being filled by the Holy Spirit. It's him that gives us the ability to, to walk and to, to move and to breathe and to speak in the ways within these roles that he's given us. So if, if you've been here as, as a wife and you, you heard that whole section, you're like, with what Debbie and I were talking about, and you're like, man, I'm really, really struggling to do that. Don't forget, like, you, to do this, you, you've got to first be filled with the Holy Spirit and then secondly, the same applies with, with men. If you're, if you're struggling to play in that role, I do think it was interesting. I'm just going to say this because just, I just happened to stumble on this. We had to do something for our, our, our hosting site that hosts our podcast. And I noticed that the, the, the women submitting to their husband's scripture that we taught on has over 300 downloads on it. So over 300 people have at least clicked on it to download it or listen to it. And then the following week, the men's section has 34. Now... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and not assume and just a bet that not every single guy was here. And I made the joke in both services where I said, hey, husbands, if you're here without your wives, don't call them and say, you need to listen. You need to listen to this wives. I'm just going to go ahead and say it for the wives. Husbands, you need to listen to that, okay? So if you haven't been, uh, if you missed that week, if you didn't listen to that chance, not that anything I said was brilliant, but my hope is that what God is saying through his word would, would, would spur you on in what it means to, to live inside of the role that God has given you. So I, again, I don't never, I never really pay attention to the download, just happened to look at that, and I thought that was a very funny, hopefully not true statistic. Hopefully you guys are just really like studying it so many other places you just didn't have time to listen to this one. So that's where we're at. So this, this section, but I guess ultimately one of the things we're going to do today is, is we're in chapter 5, verses 31 to 33, so you can turn there. We'll get there in just a second. But what we're going to do with today is this is kind of the end of husbands and wives communication, but I want to say this really clearly. If, you, if you're single in here or you're, you're, you've been married and you're, you're, you're long past single and you're just like, I'm just never going to be married again, or you're are in the process of getting married or you hope to be married someday. Wherever you are, this section has a, a, enough to do about marriage, but the point of what marriage is. And so I, I, want, I encourage you to not check out, not just, just distance yourself from this. Again, this is the beginning. We have to understand specifically that, that the roles started with us submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 21 tells us that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our definition that we had that Danny kind of shared with us was submission is joyfully, willingly, and humbly trusting Christ with my life and perceived rights, seeking to live under his rule and those who are in leadership under him. 
And so, so that's our working definition of submission. And then it went specifically into what wife's role was, as, as to submit to their husbands as head, as, as the church would to the Christ. And then it went into husbands. And we talked extensively about both of those, so I'm not going to go into those. You'll have to go back and listen to those, especially you guys. Just another plug for that. Okay. But if I were to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, in the, just the, kind of the overarching climate of America, 10 being it could not be any better and 1 being it could not be any worse, where would you say marriage is as a, as an, a kind of just an American culture? I'm going to just yell it out. What do you guys think? 5? Okay. 3? 4? Like, I think you guys are being really like, generous to it in all honesty. Here's the thing. It wouldn't take long for us to recognize just that the statistics alone, marriage is a mess. Marriage is a mess, and this is what's sad. Marriage is a mess inside and outside of the church. In fact, it's, it's, it's a mess everywhere. It, I, I want to say something really, really clear for us to hear this, okay? Because for us to understand what marriage is for and what we're doing, we have to understand what it isn't, isn't for and, and what isn't marriage. So I want to just, let me just start off with saying, when, when the Apostle Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus, the climate for marriage is no better than it is today. In fact, it's, in some ways, it might even be worse. The reality is, Marriage has been a mess for a very long time. In fact, I can tell you when it first happened. It was about a half a chapter after it was created. Marriage has been a mess since the very beginning. And I want to say this very clearly. See, what the Apostle Paul does and brilliantly in this section is he ties marriage not just to a cultural stage of life. He ties marriage specifically what we've seen. He says, again, what's the model of a marriage? A husband are to love their wife like Christ loves the church, sacrificially. Wives, you are to submit to your husband as head as the church submits to Christ. He models marriage not on the individual level, but he models it in Christ and the church. But for us to understand something, we have to understand real quickly who created marriage. Just in case you're wondering, the government didn't create marriage. Okay? So, so for us to assume that whatever the government says is a marriage or isn't a marriage would be a foolish thing for us to believe. In fact, the very first marriage that we have in history was in Genesis 2. This is God creating Eve, and he creates this covenantal relationship between a husband and a wife, between a male and a female. Anything, and I mean anything, outside of a husband, a male who loves the Lord, is submitted to him, and a wife who's submitted to the Lord in that way in marriage is not marriage the way that God designed it. It does not matter what culture says. It does not matter what the government says. It does not matter what your neighbor says. It does not matter. We, we actually, we see it very clearly. The design and roles of marriage are tied to the created order as well as the new covenant. This means that any marriage not set up in this way is disobedience to God despite what culture laws or any other person says. So let me talk real quickly about that. So even though two people may say they love each other, and I don't doubt that they, they do love each other, I would argue with you Pretty much anyone that doesn't know the Lord doesn't understand what true love is, not the, not the way that God designs it or, or, or created it. But when, when two people, whether they are a male and a male or a female and a female, same sex, and they get married because the state legalizes it, it is still not a covenantal marriage before the Lord. When two people that aren't surrendered to Jesus Christ in, as Lord and get married, it's not, a, it's not a covenantal marriage in that way. This is what's so sad about the divorce rate being so high in the church is because, well, Apparently, the church doesn't understand a covenantal marriage either. So we have to understand it's, it's not that. In fact, you know, when our government recognized marriage by law, 1913, almost 2,000 years, years after Jesus even walked the earth. So when we see culture saying these things, now let me, let me just say this very clearly. It doesn't mean that we don't 
love people. It doesn't mean that we don't enter in and try and, and spur one another. In fact, I know plenty of friends of mine where they, one knew the Lord and the other one didn't. They were married and years later, both are following the Lord or neither knew the Lord and they both came to the Lord in faith. So God can work in any situation. But just because the government says something doesn't mean that we, uh, uh, like, that we follow that and say, oh, well, okay, it must, then God must say it. And we try and make God's word fit in light of what the government says. In fact, if you're wondering, I think it's the government that killed Jesus Christ when he was on the earth. God's word and the government have always been there. He instilled kings against our disobedience and the kings kept turning their back from God. So we can't let culture or what, what government or anyone else says define what marriage is. We have to let the scriptures define it. The scriptures define it very clearly. As I said a few weeks ago, when God created it, he created it in a very specific way. And I, I made the joke, I think sometimes we forget like, that God, when he created it, it wasn't like he was like, okay, Jesus, <clears throat> Holy Spirit, come here, guys. Let's, let's brainstorm here. How have we done this in the past? Okay, well, we did it this way, and here's the how-to manual that Ikea sent us. So we got this, like, here's how you put these people together. No, God created it the exact way he wanted it. God very well could have created woman first and then created man. If that's the way he designed it, if that's the way he wanted it, if that's the way he wanted it to be, that's exactly how he did it. But he said, no, in Genesis 2, he created them both male and female. Why? Because it completed his image. This is a completion of his image. And he created them this way. He didn't pull off the shelf and say, okay, well, now how are we going to make this marriage thing happen? No, in fact, we see from Jesus in his teachings in the Gospels and then the Apostle Paul here as he goes back to Genesis, which we'll get to in a second, that ultimately the created order was designed the way it was and affirmed not only just by culture but by Jesus Christ when he walked the earth and by the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians. And so to make this a cultural argument, well, obviously the Apostle Paul is just stuck in a Greco-Roman society and, and he's got you know, the Jewish background, so this is obviously what he's speaking at is an affront to the Scriptures. Because the Apostle Paul isn't tied to that. He ties, which we learned about last, or two weeks ago, he ties the marriage relationship strictly to the new covenant of Jesus Christ. That seems pretty countercultural to me. So we have to understand that that's not what it is. Second thing we have to understand, what marriage isn't for. Let me just say this really quickly. I think Jerry Maguire ruined us. Marriage is not to complete you, okay? Like, you do not get completed in marriage. In fact, those of you that aren't married, it's not like, well, I'll be a real follower of Jesus when I finally get married. That's not the truth. That's a lie, you had to go back to the first three chapters of Ephesians. Who are you as a child of God? You are holy, redeemed. You have every spiritual blessing. He doesn't say, you have all that with an asterisk until you get married, then it'll be better. No, he says, this is who you are. This is what you have. You have absolutely everything. Marriage isn't, um, there's this kind of self-fulfillment ethic that's, that's reached into the church, into our life. It just basically assumes that marriage and family are primarily institutions for personal fulfillment. I mean, I, I do a lot of weddings, okay? I get a, I, that's one of the, the joys of being a pastor. I get to do these weddings and, and do these marriages. Every single time I come to a couple, they always say the same thing. We're madly in love. He's, he makes me be better than I want to be, and, he's, or, and she, you know, she propels me to be a, the person I didn't know I was capable of being. And everything's about what they feel like they want, which is all great things. Look, you want to be attracted. Song of Songs tells us we can be attracted to our spouses. It's a good thing, okay? So just go read that. Um, you, want, you, want to, you want the person to compel you to be a better person and to, to strengthen you. You know, one of the lies that marriages tell them is like they changed. Well, I hope so. God is sanctifying us. We should continually be changing more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ and less and less like ourselves. Think of it this way, married couples, with the day you're saying the vows, hopefully that's the most selfish they'll ever be. And they're becoming more and more and more selfless as time goes on, as God works in their heart. 
So we, we, we have to understand it's not for that. In fact, the, just because just I want to push on this, we have to, we have to get here because once we understand this, we'll understand what marriage is for. I'm going to push on this a little bit. This is how I know how selfish we are, okay? How many of you have ever had to look for a new church? Raise your hand. Whether you moved or you sat, okay. So most of us have done this. Now, now think with me. Every single one of us says, okay, we really want to be where God wants us to be, right? That's the, like, that's the heart. And if you don't say that, like, let's talk. You probably should want that, okay? So, um, but that's the heart of it. But what do we go to right away? Ah, I mean, I don't know. That, the speaker's okay. I mean, he's kind of goofy. He doesn't, he wears pink shirts. I, I don't know if I like it that much, right? Like, like you kind of, you, you start going, wow, the, the worship was really good, but I didn't, I didn't like the way they played that song. Or you know what, my, my kids don't do so well in this class. And so, and all these are great reasons in and of themselves, but you know what they are? They're selfish. They're trying to find out what works best for me versus the question of, okay, Lord, where do you want me? What is my role in this place as opposed to just sitting in a chair and just taking it for a ride? They're selfish. And so what has happened is even at the church level, in fact, this is how we do it. You ready? We, we say things like, all right, um, I, I'll leave this church when it doesn't meet my needs. Similar to, I think, a lot of husbands, I'll leave her when she doesn't meet my needs. You know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll say st- statements like, okay, well, um, if he doesn't do <laughs> what I want him to do, then I'm out. If Jesus doesn't show up, then I'm gonna have a crisis of faith as if he hasn't already been present in your life. See, we, everything has become so selfish. So it's, it shouldn't shock us that, that the marriage is a mess. I just, we just have to understand that it's been a mess since about a half a chapter after it was created. In Genesis 3, we see the fall. We see Adam and Eve entering into a, a, a sinful decision, right? And we would love to, we'd love to pin it on Eve, okay? But Adam was standing right next to her, okay? So I don't know what he was doing. If he was just like in his head dreaming about some car or something or whatever, like, I don't know. You know how guys do where they're present but not really present, right? That's probably what he's doing. But either way, like he's, he's present, he's in that, he's making the same mistake. They, they sin, they fall apart, and, the, and sin enters the world. And you know what it says in, in 3.16? It says, Eve, your desire will be for your husband. That's not like, oh, how sweet, you love him. No, that actually means your desire would be for his role. That's how that better translates. Your desire will be to step into his role. And then what do you know it says right after? And he will rule you. And that rule is better said, he will domineer you. So we have seen the fruit of that relationship over years of men domineering women and women fighting back to have their position. So this whole like movement that we think we're trying to get more equal rights, which again, absolutely, I'm not saying anything against, but this has been a battle since the fall. This has been going on forever. Women, unfortunately, wives, you are susceptible in your selfishness to want to take control of your husband, to want to step into the role that God has created. Husbands, unfortunately for you, you're susceptible to being an absolute jerk of a domineering leader. That is what we are susceptible to in our fallen state. But God, there's some beautiful things. Look with me at, at chapter, um, chapter 5, verse 22, or 31. I was way off. Verse 31 here says, Therefore, this is just after talking about the husbands still continuing. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I want to pause real quickly. We don't have time to cover this, but some of you, this whole leaving and cleaving thing, man, this is the root of some of your issues in your marriage. In fact, I'll say this right now. None of the marriages I'm doing right now, because there's a couple that I'm doing that are in this, in this room, but most of the time, what I see, even more so than ever, is the husband having a problem leaving their families and cleaving to their wife. 
This is an image of gluing. I was going to bring a visual aid, but I thought I did so many visual aids last week, I should probably take a break from it. And so, so the, the, this is an image of like cementing two pieces together or gluing two pieces together. So that if you ever tried to get them apart, it would literally, it wouldn't come apart evenly. It wouldn't be like, oh, here's the two holes. It would come apart torn, destroying. That's why divorce is such a horrible thing. It tears at what has been glued. But some of you husbands and wives, you need to remember, your parents are beautiful. That's awesome. You have a great relationship with them. You tell them everything. Not when you're married. Your parents become a very beautiful extended family. Your family is your husband and your wife and your kids. That is your immediate family. Everyone else is a beautiful extended family. I, got, I don't have time to go there, so we'll have to talk about that another time. That's what he says, leaving Cleo. Okay, and then he goes on and says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so the apostle Paul ends it the very way he begins it. He says the same thing. He says, okay, at the very beginning, he talked about how wives are to submit, and he uses the word respect here, which is, is interesting. We'll get there in a second. And then he tells husbands to love. He says, specifically, there's this mystery, and this mystery is a word that he's used a number of times in Ephesians. He defines it sometimes. Here, it's, it's kind of comical because theologians have tried to start, like, what is this mystery? It says it right there. It says it right, right after. This mystery, which is what? What is the mystery? Come on, help me if you were paying attention. Mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay, there's our answer to what the mystery is, okay? So we don't need to go any deeper than that. What he's saying is that in it, in this marriage-designed relationship, in your husband and wife situation, what you are doing is you are truly divinely set up that, that you as husband and you as you as wife will look like Christ does with the church. That's the mystery. He is defining marriage specifically on the new covenant, which we already knew. We've already seen this. We've already talked about this. But he does it in a most brilliant way. He does it just before that by, by quoting Genesis 2. So not only is marriage designed to look like Christ in the church, it's founded on the created order that we see in Genesis 2. So the Apostle Paul is telling us ultimately that your marriage is not to complete you. That's a lie that the, enemy that the world loves to tell you. It's not some Disneyland movie, although they love to make it some kind of fun thing there, right? No, it, it is, instead it is defined by God with a very specific purpose. We see that at the creation, God had intended all along what it looked like through Jesus Christ. And what, from Jesus Christ, now for us, for all of us here, we can actually understand this. We don't have to operate inside of the, the Genesis 3 fall. Instead, now we get to operate well, the week we're celebrating, right? Holy week. That Jesus came. Jesus showed up. He shows up. And not only does he show up and just walk around for a while, he shows up and creates a way so that all of us now by the covering of his sacrificial love on the cross, can walk in the newness of life by the blood spilled by him so that we can now operate and live within the, in the lines and the roles in which he has called us to do so. So we don't have to operate anymore outside of that. The point of the marriage, Tim Keller says it this way, it is for helping each other to become our future glory selves, the new creation that God will eventually make us. It's the one relationship that the world will be able to see tangibly the relationship between Christ and his redeemed people. It's interesting, the very first relationship, when God says it's not good and he creates Eve, he, he, again, he's, he's speaking specifically everything else he created up to this point was good. Well, why was it not good? Well, because, because there was no community, right? There was, Adam was alone. There was no community, so he created a helpmate, a female, and that was, was Eve, and, and Adam like, goes into a poem when he sees her, and he's like, yeah, baby, this is my wife, right? Like, he's excited. So it's, it's not just, it's not just, physical attraction, it's, 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 it's friendship and it's mutually working together, but this designed thing, this beautiful marriage was created so that, and at this point, Adam and Eve have no idea 
They have no idea that, that, that this marriage that God officiates, the first wedding ceremony that God sets as a covenant and says this is a covenantal relationship between you two now as well as a covenantal relationship with me. This is the first time we experience, that, oh, our covenants aren't just vertically, they're horizontally as well. He says in that setting, he says, this relationship, this first relationship is, is one of those ones that's so valuable. Again, you're not incomplete if you're not there. It's just that this relationship is one that anyone in the world should be able to look at and go, wow, that looks a lot like Christ in the church. That's what that marriage looks like. He didn't create Adam and then the little, you know, Adam Jr. as his helpmate. No, Adam Jr. came on later. It wasn't even Adam Jr., just so you know. No, and it's interesting. The Apostle Paul, right after submit to one another, what relationship does he go to first? He goes to husband and wife. He doesn't start with children or, or friends or anyone else. He goes straight to the husband and wife. This is intentional. Why? Because you, husband, you, wife, in your married situation, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your purpose and role is not to satisfy the other person. Your purpose and role is to love her like Christ loves the church, is to respect and submit to him like the church does to, or to Christ. And what do we see then? Any other person, that, whether it's their kids or a coworker or anyone else goes, I want that. I want to be a part of that. So our marriage isn't so that we can be satisfied or have sex finally or whatever other reason we have. All those things encompass and come into it. But the point of marriage, the point of why we are married is, is to be a beautiful image for the world to see how Christ and the church operate together. Well, if, if we're going to do that, then we've got to submit to the roles he's put in place. And the only way we'll submit to the roles he's put in place is if we understand ultimately that we are submitted to God when we do so. And the only way we'll do that is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see how this keeps working back? And the only way we'll do that is if our identity is rested in who we are in Christ. It's brilliant what God has done through the Apostle Paul. He set this up so well that there's no way we can really escape it. So when, when you husband operate in a domineering or, or, or lazy or offensive way, you're, you are being disobedient to the call. And not only that, you are not imaging what Christ in the church looks like. So this is why when I do weddings, it's funny, the grooms always look a little green, like right before, right? <clears throat> Usually, I mean, they're excited, but there's that moment of like, this is a big deal, right? Like they kind of have that like, that, oh man, like <laughs> nervous, you know? And I always look at them, I'm like, it's the biggest deal, man. Like it's, it's going to be so hard, but so awesome. Let's do this, you know? Like they're always nervous. But this is why those of you that aren't married, you should think about this. If you're going into marriage, just can't wait for her to make me happy or him to please me or to do what I want him to do or to, to make it that way, you are in for a very rude awakening because inevitably he will fail you and she will too because they make absolutely crummy gods. They cannot please you and satisfy you to your, to your heart's content. You can't put them in place of the Lord. The Lord is who satisfies you. And this is why the whole you complete me is such an affront. In fact, you know, there are like study after study after study, not even in the Christian world, talking about how the whole perfect one and compatibility thing is a complete farce. doesn't make sense at all. Finding someone that will compliment you perfectly? No. Like they, in fact, they were saying that is built on the assumption that everyone you meet is, is meant to make you happy. Well, if you enter into marriage expecting to be happy all the time, ooh, I'll meet with you after the marriage ceremony, right? Like, like this, that's the reality is, is that we are so selfish. Just think about this real quick because Jen and I, we had this, the same fights over and over again, right? You have these fights that you just do over and over again. You know what you're battling? You're battling your sinfulness. Maybe your husband's or wife's sinfulness too, but, but trust me, your sinfulness is at play as well. And this is why we must approach marriage not as if he doesn't make me happy, then I'm out. If she doesn't do this, then I, that's it. 
one more time. We can't approach marriages that way because instead we have to realize that when we said I do, we didn't just say I do so that the state could give us a piece of paper and say, okay, you guys can have the same name now. No, we said I do standing before the Lord, submitted to the Lord and saying as a covenantal relationship, this is final and complete and it is not going away. What God has joined together, let no man separate. This is crazy, but think about it this way. Most of you will experience an absolutely horribly difficult time in marriage. Some of you may even experience unfaithfulness. Some of you may experience uh, like someone that just has thrown in the towel on you. But you have to, have to think about it this way. Your role in that marriage isn't to change them. It isn't even to go, well, this isn't exactly how I had planned, so I'm out. No, instead your role is to love them the way Christ loves you. He elevated the reasons so much higher beyond our expectations and our hopes and our dreams. He, the elevation is fine. In fact, you know what is funny? I said this a while ago. Uh, the love verse, speaking of weddings, everyone loves to put 1 Corinthians 13 in their wedding, right? Love is. You realize like seven-eighths of those are how love will operate when it needs to endure. They're not like, oh, it's all fluffy bunnies. It's like, no, it will, it will, it will bear all things. It's patient. It's, it's like it's, like, it's going to go through this long list of what it needs to be when we obviously don't want it to be there. That is what love is. And so your anger, your self-righteousness, your feistiness, your fighting for what your husband or wife should be doing isn't accomplishing anything. Instead, what it's doing is it's perpetuating the cycle. And now, I said this a few weeks ago. If, if there's only one relationship, which doesn't, God doesn't tie it to our kids. He doesn't tie it to our friends. I mean, maybe you can make an argument for the community as a whole, which I would agree with. But ultimately, we can say without a doubt, there's one relationship that God has created, and it's the marriage relationship that when operating, when two people submitted to the Lord, operating in the way they're supposed to, it is a perfect image for anyone to look at and go, wow, that's Christ in the church. If that's the one relationship, then it doesn't shock me that culture and the enemy and anyone that doesn't know Jesus fights and fights and fights and fights against it. Why? Because truth is offensive to those in darkness. So why wouldn't your marriage be the attacking ground. Why wouldn't the fights come? Why wouldn't it be difficult? Well, because the enemy desires for that relationship to be messed. In fact, dare I say, the enemy desires for the statistics to be what they are, which is unfortunately the divorce rate is the same in and out of the church. We have to understand something. We have to understand something. Please hear me on this. We haven't lost. We, we, we didn't lose. In fact, the solution's already at play. We celebrate it this week. We celebrate Jesus' perfect life, sinless life, coming in to to Jerusalem on that donkey, walking in like it is today on Palm Sunday, although it's probably a different day of the week. But either way, you know what I'm saying? So he's walking in, and, and we get to celebrate the fact that he goes all the way to, he's obedient to Christ, all, or to God, all the way to the cross, off the cross, into the tomb, and then three days later to raise again. What does that mean for us? That means that we are free. That means for all of us who have submitted ourselves to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as a husband, I have a, I have a fighting chance now. Why? Because victory has already been won in my place. As a wife, you have a chance now because victory is won. You don't have to keep operating out of that Genesis 3 posture. Well, I'm just obviously going to always want to control because that's what Genesis 3 says. There's the curse. There it is. No, God's sent Jesus Christ and his blood covers all of that. His blood covers your anger. His blood covers your selfishness. His blood covers your, your pride. And, your, and he, his blood covers your fear. This is what is, is, is mind-blowing to me is that most of us, like this is oversimplifying. I get it. But I, I bet 95% of all of our fights in marriage have to do with us being selfish and not trusting the Lord in some way. Uh, that's just it. And maybe there's examples. That's the 5%. Just give me a, some, some, some slack there, okay? But the reality is this, is that you've, you've lost track of it. 
This is why the author of Hebrews, and I think it's so beautiful, he tells us, he tells us to fix our eyes on the, the author of our faith and the perfecter. Why? Because when we take our eyes off of there, when we take our eye off the prize, we're going to miss 100% of the time. When we stop looking at Christ and we start looking at our selfish spouse, all you're going to see is what they do wrong. When we fix our eyes on the Lord, we can't help but think that maybe our spouse and their feistiness, God is using to sanctify me to be more like Jesus Christ. In fact, I bet that probably the reason you're married is because God wants to help you understand just how selfish you are. He does that with kids too. It's amazing, right? You don't realize how selfish you are until you have kids. You're like, man, I thought I, I, thought I killed this. But with Christ, he does. He puts this to death. So when we, when we are fighting and, and losing sight of what our marriage is, it's the same example that I talked about where it's like we're going back to that, that lice-filled closet putting on that old ugly sweater and trying to live as a part of the old creation when he has created us new. And so I, I encourage you to to stop living the old system. Stop believing the lie that this is all marriage is. In fact, I, I, I dare you to, to submit yourself more to the Lord in it and less to yourself. So when you see yourself starting to well up in anger, you stop and you ask, hey, why am I angry? Oh, it's because he didn't make my, meet my expectations and he should know better by now. Maybe it's a, I'm angry because my expectations I haven't communicated well because I'm selfish or because honestly the Lord is, is trying to do something in my own heart right now and help me understand what it means to walk more so with the fruit of the Spirit in this way. The end of the, the, end of the text, he says respect. Um, respect is just another word for submit. Um, but one of the things I want to say that's really, really brilliant is he ends it with this, where he says, husbands, husbands love your wives, and, and, and wives respect your husbands. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a bookend. It's a bookend where they come together, and what he's doing is, is so brilliant and so beautiful. What he's basically saying is, okay, here's what's expected of you. Here's why, and here's how you do it. Oh, and just in case you forgot, here's what's expected of you. This is, this is the way it should be. In light of the truth of my word, in light of everything that I'm doing, here's what's expected of you. You know what's interesting is he doesn't call wives to obey their husbands. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then he goes in, and children, obey your, your parents. And so real quickly, just, just to think about this, I don't think, that if you look at biblically, I don't think you can really define submission or obedience without recognizing that they both fall hand in hand. Because again, submission is a joyful, willingly, like setting yourself underneath. Obedience is I do what I'm told to do. In your marriage relationship, husbands, your wife isn't just supposed to obey you. No, no, obedience comes out of submission. There are times that my kids obey me, and we'll talk about this next week, but there are times my kids obey me, but it's not because they're submitted to me. It's because they're afraid of the consequence. That's not the obedience God's looking for. But ultimately, that, that can happen. So he's calling your wives to submit. Look, here's the reality. The, the band's gonna come up and we're going we're gonna to sing some more. But here, here's the reality. My assumption is every single person in here is wrestling with selfishness in one way or another. You are, you are making every single decision about you. It may not, whether it's relational or not, you're making every single decision about how it affects you, and you're doing pros and cons lists about how it affects you. You need to, you need to take your eyes off yourself and fix them on the Lord. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you. I did this last service. I'm gonna, there's two things I want to challenge you guys to do. One is, is repent. This is a word that I feel like at the church, people have lost sight of what it means. Repentance isn't like, oh, hey, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. That's a crummy, even apology for what it's worth. You're apologizing for someone else's feelings that you have no control over. No, repentance is what I have done is wrong. What I have done is sinful. My anger does not produce the righteousness of God. My selfishness is at a front of disobedience to what God has called me to. What I have done is wrong, and I desire not to do this. And so instead, I turn from it and I give it to the Lord and I give all this to the Lord. Will you please forgive me? 
goodness, church, could we please learn those statements? Will you please forgive me? That's what God models for us. Not just, oh, hey, I'm sorry. No, well, bring it. Some of you need to repent. Husbands, you need to repent for being a jerk. Husbands, you need to repent for being lazy. You need to repent for, for allowing your insecurities to, to, to well into a massive amount of pride and just pretending like you have it all figured out. Whatever it may be, husbands, you need to repent. Wives, wives you need to repent. For maybe it's, it's fear that's caused you to want to control your husband. He's not doing it, so I need to step up. It's fear because you're afraid that, that you have some little lack of control, which just in case you're wondering, when you submitted to the Lord as Jesus Christ, you gave up all control. But it's fear, and you need to repent. You need to repent for, for trying to, to lead your husband not like you're called as a role to submit to. You need to repent for being harsh with him or impatient. Whatever it is, you need to repent. And repentance isn't just, okay, well, I'm sorry. It's, it's no, what I've done is sinfulness. It's wrong. In fact, if it's nothing else, you realize now your sin is getting in the way of your marriage looking like Christ in the church, which is the purpose of your marriage. We need to repent. Some of us, we, 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 we need to just be more time, spend more time in prayer. Second thing, I, the other thing I want to I encourage you guys is not just through repentance, but also with the fact that um, I think a lot of us in here can recognize that, that, that our marriage is struggling and we can see that there's, there's battles in it or, or maybe we're like, it's just not what we hoped it would be or man, it's just a difficult spot. I, I challenge you, I challenge you to start operating inside your marriage as you've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and he has redeemed you and he's given you everything you need to live in great humility and obedience to his word. Stop believing the lie that this is all it is. Stop believing the lie that God isn't big enough to fix or solve or work these things out. Stop, this one maybe, I don't have time to go into it, but maybe stop assuming that what you're going through has nothing to do with your sanctification process. Maybe the struggle you're in right now is God is saying, I'm taking something and I'm cutting away a branch that isn't connected to me in you. And you don't see that yet, but it's painful and it hurts and it's gonna tear. But I promise you, when you come out, you're gonna look more like my son, Jesus Christ. Wherever it is, I, I encourage you to do it with honesty. The, the other thing, I, I guess I said I was going to challenge you with two, but I'm going to challenge you with three. The third thing is this. Um, don't just let conviction sit in you and be like, wow, that was a really convicting. I needed to hear that and then do nothing. Man, that is just, that doesn't help anyone. In fact, it just exacerbates all the people around you more so. If God is convicting you, he's not, he's not guilting you. Trust me, that's the, the Holy Spirit is, is convicting you because he's trying to make you more like Jesus Christ. If he's convicting you, then don't just go, wow, I really need to do something about that. What's for lunch? Forget that. Like, no, instead, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Help me walk in this. Lead through it and then be patient with one another. Let's, let's just be a little more gracious. God, I pray, I pray for the marriages in here. I pray for the, for the couple that continues to fight over and over and over again, kind of seeming like the same fight, just a different, different landscape in, in which it's happening. God, I pray that you'd break down their pride. You'd break down their fears. You'd break down their lack of trust in you. And forgive us for believing the lie that you can't actually solve the, the issues in us. Forgive us for not resting in the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled for every single aspect of our own selfishness. God, for, for the people in here that aren't married yet, I pray that they wouldn't just look for someone who's cute or someone who has a good job, but instead would look for someone that is submitted and surrendered to you as Lord. And God, that they wouldn't wait to start living for you until they're married. Instead, they would see that they are called right where they're at to live for you in spite of marriage, God. And I can't help but but think if, if the marriages would start to look more like you called them to look, just how many more people would be excited and curious about who you are and want to know you because of the way they see you operate with your church. And God, for, for those that, that do need to repent, God, I pray that you just, you push on them in a hard way. Call them to repentance. 
Don't let their fear of consequences get in the way of standing in a right relationship with you. We talked a couple weeks ago about how our prayers are hindered when there's unforgiven or unrepentant sin. God, I pray that we repent. Father, for the couples in here, whether it's uh, two people that don't know you or one person that doesn't know you, God, I pray that in both scenarios um, that your Holy Spirit would wreak havoc on their hearts, that you would give the believing spouse the patience to walk with an unbelieving spouse. Would you give the believing spouse the ability to walk and love and, and, and treat and encourage and do everything that you call, your word calls them to do um, with their spouse? And Lord, I pray that you'd win that spouse over for you. God, for the couples maybe that are here that don't know you at all, I pray that you would help them understand that their marriage is, is not even a fraction of how amazing and brilliant and beautiful it can be when it's submitted to you, Lord. And God, we thank you for creating marriage and we thank you for giving us the, um, the honor to, to try and walk in a way in which others can look at us and say, that's who Jesus is and that's what the church looks like. God, forgive us for not modeling that. Forgive us for not living in that. Forgive us for not being filled by your spirit and allowing him to lead us in that way. And so, God, where we are not submitted, God, I pray that you'd submit us. You'd bring us to a joyful, willing submission to you, Lord. Where we'd no longer believe the lie that, that it's better to be outside of following you. Instead, we believe the truth that, that there is no better spot to be than submitted to you wholeheartedly. And, God, I pray as, as victories come, because we believe prayer is, is powerful and real, and you promise to answer them. God, I pray as victories come, we don't see our own efforts in that. Instead, we see your work, and we give you glory for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.